Welcome back to the I'm in Love with That Song podcast on the Pantheon Podcast Network. I'm your host, Brad Page, and this episode is another edition of the Albums That Made Us series. These shows give us a chance to talk about specific albums that made a big impact on the lives of myself and my guest. And for this episode, I couldn't have picked a better guest than Brian Jacobs. Brian was a frequent commentator on the Pods and Sods Network and is just one of the most thoughtful and articulate music fans that I know. So it was a pleasure to talk with him about these two great albums and what they mean to us. Here's our conversation. Brian, thanks for joining me on this episode of the podcast. Thank you for having me, Brad. Oh, it's a pleasure to have you here. You know, I'm always interested in the way that uh, music inspires us and moves us in, in deeper ways, and it certainly has had a big impact on my life. Tell me about an album that has really influenced you. Well, I think it has to be kind of the seminal album from Richard and Linda Thompson, Shoot Out the Lights from 1982. Mm -hmm. Just... Uh, it, it's an album I got into over 30 years ago at this point. You know, I was I was pretty young when I got into it, and there wasn't there wasn't much like this in my record collection. But when I heard it the first time, I thought, hmm, this is a little different than the kind of the commercial rock AOR that I listened to. But I really like it, and I didn't quite know why. And all these years later, it's still a very very central album to me. And what is it about the record that makes it so special to you? Well, one of the things, you know, the critics have always said this was Richard and Linda Thompson's breakup album. They they did get divorced shortly after this. And the the first three songs on the album are pretty well seem like breakup songs. Richard Thompson has always denied that in interviews like a like a good artist would. But the the songs have I think a tremendous passion to them. There's a little bit of fun on the album. There's some serious heartbreak on the album. There's some beautiful moments on the album. There's some uh, some harrowing moments on the album. It's just fabulous in in my eyes. And it opened my world musically to a whole other musical genre, continent, <laughs> uh, you name it. But it's just, the album has meant so much to me over the years. My first um, exposure to the record was actually Rolling Stone magazine. They they really had a love for Richard and Linda, and they used to talk about them. They used to write about them a lot. And I remember when this record came out, they wrote about it a lot. I didn't really get into it at, at the time. Um, I've come to appreciate it much more later, but at, at the time, it was maybe a little too folky for me maybe mm -hmm. but it's certainly intense i mean it's pretty bleak in places definitely definitely and it's interesting you brought up rolling stone magazine because honestly my love of this album and richard thompson in general came from rolling stone magazine right i don't know if you would recall this in 1987 Rolling Stone picked their top 100 albums of their first 20 years. Yep. And there were two albums in there by Richard and Linda Thompson, and I had never heard of either of them. Most of the material in there I had at least heard of, but his name 
was beyond me. And I remember reading those those little reviews of each album. And it said that he was in Fairport Convention. I'm like, okay, well, I've heard of Fairport Convention at least. And then two years later, in 1989, they did their top 100 albums of the 80s. And that's what cemented it for me. A friend of mine and I that I worked with a long time ago, we poured over that issue. And uh, I don't remember exactly what number it was. It might've been like number nine their number nine pick of the 80s was Shoot Out the Lights. And I remember saying to my friend, this album has got to be good. And he went out and bought it and he loaned it to me. And I remember listening to it in bed that first night. I put the CD on and I put my headphones on and I climbed in bed. And I remember by the end of the second song thinking... Again, you know, this is different, but there's something so good about this. So Rolling Stone was really central in getting me into this, honestly. Yeah, they were big proponents. Um, they, they really hyped these guys. Not, not without reason. I mean, yeah, it's, it was all worthy. But how old were you when you got this record? Uh, so I think the issue came out in the second half of 89, probably late summer, early fall, if I had to guess. So I probably heard it for the first time in late 89 or early 90. So I was, I was 20. So you weren't like a, an impressionable young kid. You were right. I was, yeah, I'm, you know, kind of borderline real adult, but right. I, you know, I didn't know anybody listening to anything like this, except for my buddy that bought the album. And I felt at the time that I had been looking for, you know, I'm a huge Beatles fan, as you know, that I had been looking for an artist like Richard Thompson. Well, it's interesting that um, that you got into this when you were heading into your 20s, because this this is like music for adults. It's not just the subject matter. I mean, it is the subject matter, but everything about it is like grown up music. You know, it's not. It's not kid music, and I don't mean that to demean anything, but it's music that I think you just have to be at a certain point in your life to to appreciate. You know, you haven't been through the things when you're 13 years old to really understand the depth of, of these songs. I, to I totally agree with that. The singer-songwriters always meant a lot to me. I was into Dylan early and stuff like that. Somehow it it resonated with me. You know, I think when when performances are passionate, it can transcend the subject matter. You know, even even as somebody that's somewhat immature, what are these people going through? Why are they singing about this? And man, they're singing so passionately. <laughs> Yeah, and then if if you are exposed to that stuff when you're younger, then there there all there will inevitably come a time in your life where you will go back to the record and you'll hear something you go, "Oh, now I get it." Right. <laughs> Cuz now I've been through that. Now I know that that horrible <laughs> feeling they were feeling. Well, I felt that now. Right. And you can relate to it in a way that you never could before. And it makes the material new and and fresh in a way. Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, I, I agree with you. So tell me about some of the songs on the record that really stand out to you. Well, I think the highlight of the Richard and Linda Thompson catalog, and there were, there were a half dozen albums over uh, about eight or ten years, uh, the track Walking on a Wire, it's track two on the album. And that's, that's the one I really remember hearing that first time. I hand you my 
Just hand me that same old refrain I'm walking on a wire I'm walking on a wire And I'm falling I wish I could please you tonight But my medicine just won't come right I'm walking on a wire I'm walking on a wire And I'm falling. Richard Thompson is my favorite guitar player in the world, and he's also certainly one of the m more unique guitar players. You know, he 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 sounds like nobody else. He doesn't play lead guitar based on the blues scale, so his his playing has always sounded different. But when I listen to that song for the first time, it's a, it's a Linda vocal with some kind of dour sounding uh, harmonies from Richard. But at the end of the song, there is a tremendous crescendo with her vocals soaring and his vocals soaring just under hers. And it, it sounds like they've actually become a little unhinged. And I don't mean like their performance is crazy or they sound crazy or anything like that, but it sounds like they have absolutely let loose and at the end of that crescendo Richard Thompson plays one of the stinging guitar solos and for me it's just it's always a, a goosebump moment a lump in the throat moment I think it is the career highlight I'm walking on Just a great guitar solo in that song for sure. Yeah, and the guitar solo in the in the middle of the song is also yeah really beautiful. Yep. Again, I love every song on the album. There's eight tracks on the album, but the other one I'm going to pick is uh, "Backstreet Slide," uh, the second track on side two. It is a very Celticly flavored song with uh, a real prominent accordion part on the song, but it's, it's a dark song. I really don't quite know what he's singing about. It's a really taut bit of, uh, of rhythm between, uh, between the bandmates and it's, it's funky in its own way. You know, I've always referred to it uh, slightly in jest as Celtic thrash. <laughs> Those backstreet women, watch what you say. You turn your back and they slide away. Give it all away, doing the slide. There's the back street slide, the back street slide. They're gonna get you 
It's a really fantastic piece of rock and roll. Again, his guitar work is great on it. It's a real different track. Uh, it, it really doesn't sound like the other ones. Uh, just, a, just another great moment. Did she jump or was she pushed? Is one of the most <laughs> one of the most bleak songs I think I've <laughs> I've ever heard. Um, do you know? Is there a story behind that? Do you know? I don't know anything about the song really interesting you ask it's one of only two songs in their catalog that linda is given a co-writing credit i am not sure if it's this one or there, there's a track on uh there's a track called pavan uh that i believe <laughs> i believe she dreamt the story and kind of told richard and he wrote the song around it i'm not sure if that was the same with this one but yeah, it's a pretty harrowing story. Was it a murder or a suicide? The title kind of says the song. It's very dark. It's very moody uh, with some really moody and sympathetic backing from Richard and the band and a, a great vocal from Linda. She was there one minute and then she was gone the Lying in a pool of herself with a twisted neck. Oh, she fell from the roof to the ground. There was glass lying all around. She was broken in a hundred pieces when her body was found. And Having it, having those lyrics sung by a woman, just give it a whole different feel than if it had been a, a guy singing it. Yeah, I, I think that's true. It's a real dark one, and and one that he has, even though she co-wrote it and and sang it, one that he will bring back in concert from time to time. Just the motion, I think, is an absolutely beautiful song. It's another one that's fairly bleak, but it's it's just. Beautiful. The first side of the record emotionally, I think, is very tumultuous. And that song ends the first side. And it feels like it brings that bit of commotion, shall we say, to a little bit of rest. Her vocal is quite sublime and it's gentle. I mean, it's it could practically sound like a lullaby. It's certainly the gorgeous moment on the album. With, without a doubt. When you're rocked on the ocean, rocked up and down, don't worry. When you're spinning, turning. Just the motion 
one of the things that I wanted to talk about with this album is the fact that not only did this album bring me to great fandom of Richard Thompson, but it led me down a very long musical road that is extending to this very day. So it's, yeah, it's around 1990 I get into this album and here we are 31 years later and here's some of the music that this album has brought me to. We have about 50 years of Richard Thompson music, uh, which, you know, is dozens of records. There's the Fairport Convention records that, you know, he was a founding member of Fairport Convention. Eventually, Linda's solo albums. Uh, there are Fairport Convention solo albums of of. There have been so many members of Fairport Convention over the years, Sandy Denny being the absolutely sublime vocalist who left us way too soon in the in the late 70s. She died tragically. Just one of the great, great vocalists of all time. I have, I have records of hers. I have records of other people from the band. Two of, of Richard and Linda's three children are professional musicians. Teddy Thompson, about 20 years ago already, started making albums. He is absolutely wonderful. Uh, his daughter, Cammie Thompson, released her solo debut uh, about 10 years ago. Uh, she married a, a fellow by the name of James Walborn, who is the lead guitarist for The Pretenders and has played for a bunch of other folks. He's played with Ray Davies and The Pogues and, and all kinds of folks. He is a tremendous guitar player. He's a Brit. They got married and formed a band called The Rails, R-A-I-L-S, and they have three albums and an EP that are fabulous. They're just some of my favorite records. Richard Thompson has played on soundtracks. He's done tremendous amounts of session work, all the way back from Nick Drake, moving forward all the way you know, through Bonnie Raitt and so many others. He was very active in the 70s and 80s as a session musician. Uh, I've collected some of those over the years. His songwriting and playing are just highly sought out by others. Just, just this tremendous library of music that Richard Thompson has brought me to. I've, I've always been interested like that. Oh, oh, what did he play on? Oh, who, who does he know? Who's covered him? Those sorts of things. There's just been so much music that has, and this is why I picked this album that has kind of changed my life because there's probably not many days that go by that there's not a song that is related to this, uh, you know, what started at the top of that family tree that that it has spilled into. And it has enriched my life so much. I mean, you know, I, I wish there was a more romantic story here, you know, that I was in prison and when, when I got out of prison, you know, it was this music that, that carried me. You know, it's, it, it's, it's not uh, as grand like that. But for a music fan like me, I think you can appreciate, Brad, th this music and what has come to follow from me has meant so much to me. And, and the only musicians in the world for me that I would relate it so much to is the Beatles and how much I love the Beatles then the Beatles solo work, and then the work of all the artists on Apple Records. That's really the only thing I could come close to uh, to relating it to. That's great. 
Well, it's it's it led you on a path of discovery that has, like you said, it's still you're still on that path today. Yeah, that that that's that's the truth. And the starting point was this record. That's exactly right, and that's why I felt like I had to go with this. You know, I I could have gone with the Beatles, and that would have been fun, but you know. We all know the Beatles and everybody knows Band on the Run and, <laughs> sure. and stuff like that. And, you know, this this just just isn't as obvious. And I, I would hope there would be a couple people that would listen to this at least and and just be curious about it enough to say, you know, I'll let you know, let me bring something up on Spotify. Yeah, I would certainly encourage people to go out and listen to this record because uh, it is a a worthy experience listening to the album at least once listen to it at least once. Right. And if you, and if you wanted something a little later from his catalog for the sake of it, I'll mention his record rumor inside from 1991, which is probably the most popular record of, of his solo career. That's a, that's a tremendous one as well. We're going to pause for a quick break and we'll be right back. Well, it, you choosing this record is interesting because there's a record that's sort of like this record in my life. Um, there are some albums that I, I fell in love with the first time I heard them, and they, they remain favorites. There's some albums that I came back to and, and rediscovered them. But there are a few albums, two very specific records in particular, that have just, they've grown with me over the years. Um, I loved them when I first heard them. But over time, as I grew older, I discovered even more in these albums. Um, I found that I connected with them more as I got older. I could relate to them more uh, with age. One of them is uh, the John Hyatt album, Bring the Family. And the other is Blood on the Tracks by Bob Dylan. It's a record that when you're younger, you can certainly enjoy it. It's got some of his strongest melodies, I think, some of his just great songwriting on there. But the depth of the songs, I I think you have to have some years on you to really get it. And as, as I've grown older, the songs just mean more and more to me as time goes on. You discover new things in them. You discover mm -hmm. new feelings in them. The, yep. the, the songs haven't changed. The, you know, it's still that same recording. All the parts are the same. The vocals are the same. The lyrics are the same. But you discover something new in them. They hit you in a different way when you're 30 than they did when you're 15 or when you're 45 than when you were 30, uh, etc. Uh, hopefully, on through the rest of your life, you discover new things in, in, in that material. And this, this record blood on the tracks is like that for me. It's funny. You, you pick this one in, in a sense, uh, for this episode that, that I'm on with you, I'm a huge fan of blood on the tracks. And I would actually say that, uh, I'm a bigger fan of blood on the tracks than I am shooting out the lights. <laughs> That's funny. I'm a, I'm a huge Dylan fan. And this is my favorite Dylan album. It, Me too. It, Me too. It it pretty much always has been, and obviously, you know, there are many albums that 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 could be up there for favorite Dylan album, but it has always been this one, and it speaks to the strength of the material, the passion of the performances. That you know, there there are many bands or performers where my favorite album switches over time. You know, it was always like that with Zeppelin. It was Zeppelin two, or it was Physical Graffiti, or what have you. But it's always been blood on the tracks for me. And I 
you know, wh why mess with perfection? But, you know, when you talk about your different appreciation for songs at different points in your life, this was a strange one for me because I was given a cassette of this when I was about seven years old. <laughs> really? Wow. My dad worked for Ford Motor Company and he, he worked in the division that did like the car radios and the cassette players and the eight track players. And they used to get, you know, like some eight tracks or cassettes for testing. And one day he brought home a, a, this tape for me. And I mean, it was it was the Columbia release on cassette. And I used to listen to it and it didn't speak to me much. But as I got older, I remembered those songs. And by the time I was a teenager, I mean, I my Dylan collection had had started big time. And that was one of the first ones that I picked up again, you know, that I bought on vinyl. And it's just, uh, it's a perfect record. It is. It is, I think, literally a, a perfect record. And I think what's, what's kind of amazing is that this is his 15th album. Right. And, and he's made a ton of records since then. But think of of all the artists of any era, of any genre, um, usually by the time you get to album 15, you've peaked. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Right. You know, I love Paul McCartney to death, but he's made great records since then. But I, I don't think you would say by the time he got to his 15th record, he was at the top of his game, you know? Right. Yeah. I, overall, I would agree with that. Yeah. It's not that they're not amazing records, but I think you could point to records before then. It usually, uh, it, it's just amazing to me that after all he had said and done by the time he got to his 15th record, he was still able to make his best record. Yeah, it's a, it's a great point. And there's no precedent in his catalog for it, just as far as, as depth. The writing that I think most people could associate with Dylan were his, you know, much of his first four acoustic records. He wrote about matters of the heart and he wrote about civil rights and things like that. And it, it was things you could really sink your teeth into. And then those electric records in between, people love those records and rightfully so. But a lot of it is just so opaque. Right. Lyrically, you know, but, but this record, anybody that's hurt could relate to this material. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it, it's, a, it's a nice comparison to the Richard and Linda Thompson record because, you know, that was around the time their relationship was falling apart. And this record was done around the time that his marriage was falling apart. And both Richard and Dylan have denied that these records are about that subject. But it's virtually impossible not to read that in there somewhere. That's got to be in there some, somewhere. You can deny it all you want, but... You know, you, what, what you are going through works its way out in your art, whether you want it to or not, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I mean, Richard Thompson was quick to say that many of those songs were written a couple of years before Shoot Out the Lights came out. And that is true. But and, and you know, Dylan, uh, I, I mean, as you said, he was very defensive about that and I think got quite snippy about it. I think artists like this have to imagine the thought that how how the fans think about the music and they're thinking about it as the artists who whom they who they are which which is fair enough but when you're the fan 
you want to dig into it. <laughs> right. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, and on the other side of that, I mean, I'm one of those people that when I love a record, I generally want to know everything about it. I want to know how it came to be. I want to, you know, I, I really want to dig into it. But there's something about this record to me that I don't want to necessarily know too much about it. There's sort of a mystery in there that I, uh, not a literal mystery, but just the general mystery of music, I guess. I don't know how else to put it, but there's something about that. I don't want that spoiled. I don't want to know too much about it. I don't really want to know what all the songs are about because they've come to mean something to me. Right. You know? And and so this record is unique uh, amongst my catalog for that reason too. That I, I I'm I'm almost hesitant to find out too much about it. It's one of the few records that I love that I haven't gone and bought the deluxe version. You know, they came out with that massive deluxe, more blood, more tracks. I think it's called. And um, this record is so perfect the way it is. I don't need to hear the outtakes and the demos and the alternate versions. I, I know they're out there, but, but this is just such a great record the way it, the way it is. I don't want to, I don't know. I don't want to spoil it. You wanted it to keep its mystique. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And that, and that's fair enough. Unfortunately, I bought all that stuff. (laughs) (laughs) I I knew you would. And, and I'll, I'll tell you what is really extraordinary the album that I picked and the album that you picked, I own more copies of those two records than any other two records in my entire collection. And I wouldn't trade them for anything. <laughs> yeah, just something about this record. I just, I kind of like to just keep the, like you said, keep the mystique about it. Yeah, and I, I, I respect that a lot, actually. There's just so many great some just some of his best melodies that he's ever had um i mean simple twist of fate is just such a beautiful melody it's a just a beautiful song and and a heartbreaker too people tell me it's a sin to know and feel too much within i still believe she was my twin but i lost the ring she was born in spring but I was born too late Blame it on this simple twist of fate Do you have a favorite on the album? Uh, probably You're Gonna Make Me Lonesome When You Go. Mm. Situations have ended sad Relationships have all been bad Mine have been like Belaine's and Rambo But there's no way I can compare all them scenes to this affair You're gonna make me lonesome when you go You're gonna make me wonder what I'm doing Staying far behind without you You're gonna make me wonder what I'm saying You're gonna make me give myself a good talking to I look for you in old Honolulu San Francisco or Ashtabula you're gonna have to leave me now, I know But I see you in the sky above And the tall grass and the ones I love You're gonna make me lonesome when you go Yeah, I, I think every track on the album is perfect. Yeah, it's really hard to pick. I mean, you've got a couple songs that are, uh, I think, the high point of his storytelling-type songs, Tangled Up in Blue and Lily Rosemary and the Queen of Hearts. Both of those are 
somewhat abstract Dylan storytelling at its best. But then you've got songs like Simple Twist of Fate or, or You're a Big Girl Now. That song, to me, we talked about how you age into certain songs. This whole record, I think, overall has that. But that song in particular just has that kind of world weariness, a self-awareness, and a resignation that just comes with age. You're just not there yet when you're 17, 18, even in your, in your early 20s. You just, you got to get the miles on you before you really appreciate those sentiments i think and and yeah and before you can wrap your head around them it's it's the head it's the head and the heart right <laughs> right when you're younger and you're listening to them you're on one side of that story and, and you appreciate them and you see them and you probably figure you'll get there someday for better or worse but then after you've been through it you're sort of on the other side of the mirror kind of look you're looking at it from the other side of the prism or whatever. And it's just, it's, it's a different experience of the song. It just, it can be no other way. Yeah. I'm, I'm right there with you. It's, it's perfection. No matter what way you, you look at the album from the, the strange, uh, self portrait on the cover, right? He did paint that. Did he not? I don't know. That's a good question. I don't know. Uh, to the, to the strange notes on, on the back of the, of the cover. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And uh, man, a long album too. Holy cow. 10 long tracks. And it, it, sometimes an album suffers for it. Not this one. No, it never seems like it drags for me, even the longer songs. Um, each song either takes you on a journey or almost the opposite of taking you on the journey. It settles you so comfortably in a particular mood, even if the mood itself is not comfortable, <laughs> but it, 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 it immerses you in that feeling, whatever feeling he's trying to get across at that, in that particular track. Incidentally, I have read, and I, 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 I have no way of knowing if it's true. I've read that Richard Thompson's very favorite Dylan song, and he is a big Dylan fan, is Lily Rosemary and the Jack of Hearts. The hanging judge came in Unnoticed and was being wine and dined The drilling in the wall kept up But no one seemed to pay it any mind It was known all around that Lily had Jim's ring And nothing would ever come between Lily and the king No, nothing ever would Except maybe the jack of That's interesting. I could see him doing that song. I could see him singing that. Right. Yeah, me too. <laughs> Let me ask you something, Brad, uh, or at least just make a statement. I mean, it's so interesting that Dylan in his early years, his earliest years, the, the first four records, there is some real ambition from the point of view of Dylan, the guitarist. You know, the first album, he plays a little bit of slide. He's doing some really beautiful finger picking, especially if you think about something like Don't Think Twice, It's All Right. He plays a little piano in there and he's establishing himself. And, you know, he's always, always been a little bit of a sloppy guitarist, but he's establishing himself certainly as a fine guitar player. And then when the electric albums come, he, he's just a strummer at that point, mm -hmm. you know? And Dylan, the guitar player, is really, for the most part, just 
just a rhythm guitarist. But then that changes on Blood on the Tracks. Blood on the Tracks is a real unique album. He's, he's playing in different guitar tunings. His guitar sounds different. And then Buckets of Rain, he do, you can tell he's in a different tuning. His guitar just sounds different. And he does that really beautiful finger-picked. And it's, I'm pretty sure he's got long fingernails on that. And he is absolutely plucking the hell out of those strings and it's really gorgeous and i feel like it's something that we hadn't seen from him in 10 years at that point yeah i'm so i'm so glad you brought that track up because that's that to me is the guitar highlight of this record it's such a beautiful part Like an oak, I've seen pretty people disappear like smoke. Friends will arrive, friends will disappear. If you want me, honey, baby, I'll be here. And it's not perfect. There's a couple of uh, of almost clams he makes, but that just adds to the, I don't know, the charm or the intimacy of the recording. That it's that it's not perfect in the way that like a Richard Thompson part would be. He's more about the performance than the perfection. Right, but that part's all the better for it. Yeah, yeah, I I agree with you. I agree. And what a great album ender. Holy cow. Man, it just, like you said, it's a perfect, it's a perfect record. There's not a thing about it that I would change. Well, Brian, thank you so much for joining me to talk about these two fantastic records. I think they uh, make an interesting pair together. I'm glad we were able to kind of put these two pieces together. And again, for people out there who haven't heard either of these, these records, uh, really go out and, and pick both of these up or at least listen to them on Spotify. You will not be disappointed. Brad, thank you so much for having me. I, I love the work that you do. And uh, for you to have asked me is a, is a real, real treat for me, a real pleasure. Well, it's always great to talk to you. We don't get to do it enough. So thank you so much for coming on. And um, we'll have to find something else to do together. Oh, that would be great. Thanks, Brian. Thank you. Brian Jacobs, everybody. I think that was a great conversation. I could talk about music with him all day. I hope you enjoyed that. I'll be back in two weeks with another new episode. In the meantime, you can catch up with all of our previous shows on our website, lovethatsongpodcast.com, as well as on Spotify, Google, Podchaser, Apple Podcasts, Amazon, anywhere you can find podcasts, you'll find this show. And check out the other great shows on the Pantheon Podcast Network, too. Don't forget to follow this show so that you never miss an episode. 
Now go put on your favorite album and rediscover what you love about music. I'll see you next time. And if I pass this way again, you can rest assured. I'll always do my best for her on that I give my word. In a world of steel-eyed death and men who are fighting to be warm. Come in, she said, I'll give you shelter from the storm. 